Good morning, everybody. Hello. So we are continuing on in our conversation on belonging with a feedback Sunday. So we have looked through comments on Discord and have had some follow-up conversations with some of you. And there are some topics that we've highlighted that we want to return to and expand on. Um, and this whole conversation is going off of this idea that belonging is an intrinsic need that we all have, that this is something that we are all searching for. It's both an external and an internal process, this belonging to something bigger than yourself and belonging to and believing in yourself. And it's deeply tied to humanizing one another, which we talked about last week, that being a part of community and experiencing connection can make us feel more human in a world where it's all too easy to feel really isolated. So today will kind of be a grab back of topics and we would love for you all to keep contributing on Discord so we can keep crowdsourcing some yes. best practices, best ideas around belonging, keep storytelling. It's been really great to read through some of the stories that yeah. have come up. Yeah. It's been one of my favorite parts. Um, but yeah, our best resource is this community. So we wanna to continue to pull out ideas surrounding belonging there. Uh, but Vince, we are kicking this off with an exercise that you came up with this yeah. week. Yeah, so I decided in, in the spirit of a lot of the things that we read um, our, our first Sunday, that we read in Discord about people sharing about um, circles that they attached to and then detached from, and then like uh, we were working this idea of patchwork community mm -hmm. about how um, none of us really get like all of our belonging needs met in one in one space and maybe there's a message or I don't know, maybe a legacy from the past or something from uh, culture or something that, that makes us think that if we're not getting it from one place, we're bad. Mm -hmm. um, if we don't have our all in, if we don't, like you were using the language of like 100%, 110% in, and if you don't have that one space, you're like not good enough or something. So I decided to like try and figure out like what, um, if I could, if I could uh, do a, a Venn diagram, you know, like overlapping circles and that sort of thing to try and figure out like what is my uh, belonging. So this is this is Vince's belonging Venn diagram map, Ooh. okay? So you're getting a, like a, a picture into my life. Um, the solid circles are like defined groups of people that meet together regularly, like they're actual groups of people. Um, the dotted circles are, are not actual groups of people that meet together, but they're, they're but they are more than one person, right? So they're like, they're, they're things that mediate my connection with other people. So like being a Liverpool soccer fan <laughs> is a dotted circle, or um, I, I mentioned that I'm a tremendous, not horrendous tech nerd <laughs> two weeks ago, mm -hmm. and my tech nerdery is like kind of a dotted circle because it kind of connects me with a lot of people. Um, and the exercise that I did here, it, I'm trying to answer for myself, to whom do I belong? To what do I belong? That's what I'm trying to answer. And, and you can see that I have lots of different circles that make up, um, my, like BLC is the biggest circle. That's sort of, that's my primary community. We've used some of that language of primary community. And then there's also mm -hmm. secondary communities. And for some people in Brownline Church, Brownline Church is their primary community. It's the thing that mediates most of their friendships. But for other people, it's a secondary community. It mediates some and important relationships, but it's not, it's not most of their relationships, and that's okay. You can, there's, there's really, there's room for people to, to experience belonging here in lots of different ways. Um, I, I, what's interesting is, um, like, the thing I think I came away with the most is that the most connected thing up there is this 
dotted line of patchwork of helper profession ministry peers, like, hmm. you know, like other counselors or other people in, in ministry or things like that, um, people who are chaplains. Um, that's the most connected uh, uh, thing in my life, and I didn't realize that, and I sometimes like long for that to be a more defined circle. Like, could that be a group of people that I could just meet with? Mm -hmm. um, it's not, but there's something kind of beautiful about it being the thing that connects a bunch of other things together. Yeah. So I really liked that um, as, as a thing that I learned by doing this exercise. So I wonder what your personal Venn diagram looks like if you like, you know, put all the circles together. I'm, I'm a pastor, my work is relationships, so uh, mine is probably more elaborate than most. I don't know if everyone's would, be, would have that many circles. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder if that's an exercise that feels helpful. Yeah, it feels really validating too because I think it's important to be asking this underlying question of what are we, what is the reason we're connected? Yeah. What are yes. the connecting forces at play? And it's not just individual friendship by individual friendship, mm. but you have these common interests, common hopes, uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, common roles in your life that actually connect you. Yeah. Um, and I, when thinking about mine, after I looked at yours, I'm not a part of many established groups that get together regularly. Um, and when I was younger, that was kind of a source of insecurity, this search for like a friend group that you have to be all in with and know really well and do everything with. Your besties. Yeah. Mm. Um, and there's this myth that if you don't have a group, like that yeah. groupness thing, that you don't have a place of belonging. Yeah. But this, I think, really ties together how interconnected we all are and that there are so many sources of belonging. And it just, I love that validating the patchwork here is yeah. the goal. Yeah, yeah. I think patchwork just increasingly feels like really useful language when it talks about friendships. And there, nobody has, I mean, maybe in the movies, or, or maybe, I don't know, there, I'm sure there are people who, who like just it, you fall into that situation where you do have like oh my gosh these are my besties and they're they're my you know ride or dies or I'm gonna keep using phrases like that <laughs> um, but uh, but but I think that that's it's lucky when you fall into that mm -hmm. I don't think it's normative and maybe that's what we need to break is mm -hmm. it, that that doesn't have to be the only story yes exactly yeah, yeah. Um, so you were picking up from the chat uh, lots of comments on vulnerability and you yes. wanted to uh, touch on that so let's let's talk vulnerability yeah and I mean vulnerabilities already come up this morning too um, and so it's obviously a really important part of true belonging but there it can be hard to determine when vulnerability is the right way to go, mm. uh, how important it is. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, um, particularly about vulnerability in religious settings, because that's been a big part of my own formation. And I'll talk more about this next week, but I think about groups that I was a part of yeah. Yeah. in high school and college and immediately post-graduation. And all of these groups were tied to churches and they placed a really strong emphasis on being vulnerable. Mm. And there's no question that vulnerability is Obviously, really important. we talk about it all the time, yes. right? Yeah. It's scary, but it's important. And many of you have voiced this in the chat over the past few weeks, that it's really vital. Um, but looking back, I can actually see times where vulnerability might have been unhealthy. Mm. And it's strong language, but I can think of times, too, where vulnerability was almost weaponized. Mm. Um, I think similar to our initial conversation a couple weeks ago about this balance of you brought in how if you want belonging, you do need to lean in, you mm -hmm. do need to connect, and there's this relief of pressure to be all in mm -hmm. all the time with mm -hmm. everyone. And the important piece there is knowing the motivation behind what you're giving of yourself. 
So when I think of vulnerability with this, I think of are you being vulnerable because you genuinely just want to share your own story and let others into what you've experienced, what you're currently experiencing, or do you just feel obligated to share? Yes, yeah. There's this concept of matching vulnerability. Someone shares something really deep and personal about their life, and then you feel like you have to to match it or even top it. some groups, it's just the established norm to almost overshare in certain mm-hmm. settings. And it can be really dangerous because people don't always hold our stories well. And we don't always hold other people's stories well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've had really beautiful experiences of being vulnerable in a setting and having that vulnerability met with love and encouragement and feeling seen. And I don't know if anyone else has experienced too, but I've also had the flip side of it of like, oh, did I share too much? Was this really the right setting for me to disclose that? And working, um, I've worked in a lot of youth ministry settings and college ministry settings, and I have seen over the years this obsession with wanting safe spaces. Mm. That language comes up a lot of like, is this a safe space? I heard that question over and over again in conversations among leadership of how do we create a safe space for our students? And I started to realize that I don't think that that's a fair question Hmm. because I'm not entirely sure that it's possible. You can't promise that. You can't Uh, promise it. Yeah, yeah. And I've talked a little bit about this before, but I think a better question that we can be asking instead of, is this a safe space, is can we make this space sacred? And maybe this just feels like different word choices, but let me break it down a little bit. So with safety... The issue there is control, Mm. and we can't control how other people respond to our vulnerability. We can't control how people um, hold our stories, what they say back to us, what they go on and tell other people that weren't present, and the more people you add into the mix, the messier and messier it gets. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's no way to control all of that, and and we wouldn't want a community that was controlling all of that, right? exactly. But there can be an element of making someplace sacred. Hmm. And this isn't an issue of control. It's, a, it's it actually, it's an encouragement to commitment. Hmm. So in relationships, in groups, can you create an atmosphere where everyone is committed to upholding the full humanity of everyone else involved? Can you uphold the sacredness of human connection? And this just feels so much more realistic to me of like, can you be present? Can you be listening well? Can you recognize that the person who's sharing is a full human who is beautiful and wonderful? That seems a lot better of an option than like, can we make this entirely safe for this person to share their stories? Because waiting to feel safe in order to be vulnerable, that might never come. Yeah. I think about like, you can get hurt no matter how safe a relationship may be. Like the safest relationships in my life, I've still been hurt by those people. Absolutely. But I still can have really sacred connections with those same people. Yeah, and and what I like about the trying to create sacred spaces, that being our goal. It, last week, we, we talked about like the accelerate, accelerate, accelerate mm-hmm. culture that turns really good values into demands that when we don't meet them, we are bad and we yes. feel lost and we feel overwhelmed and we just shut down. And, and this, this feels like a really good job of holding to a value, but not letting that value become a demand because if you, if you don't meet it, you're in big trouble. Uh, we are holding to the value of committing to one yes. another in relationships. But of course, 
that doesn't mean, like, the, uh, thinking that we could control so that we never hurt one another and we never do things that are unsafe to one another is, is not realistic, as you said. And also, it means that we never get the experience of grace, of mm -hmm. forgiveness, of seeing a, another person and letting them look at you and say, like, you know, like, uh, say something hard to you, and then you getting the opportunity to say, I am so sorry, I, mm -hmm. I own that, and then hearing I forgive you. I mean, like those are really important experiences that help you feel belonging. And Absolutely. if we if we're trying to control, we never actually have those experiences. Grace is squeezed out when we're controlling rather than trying to make commitments together. Yes. Yeah. It really it that whole process that you just described that deepens connections yes. and it deepens the sense yes. of belonging when you can go through that process together. Yeah. Um, instead of erring on the side of safety and tiptoeing around people and not creating an environment where someone can actually provide feedback to say, like, you know, you really hurt me because it was supposed to be safe. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, th I think that's exactly right. And, and that, make, that, that really feels not only realistic, but also it, it's better. It, it, is, it is better that way. Um, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about, like, a drumbeat that um, my wife and I have got to share with a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of uh, couples in uh, premarital counseling where we talk about how uh, there's, a, there's a phrase in, in the uh, marital counseling world where it's not how much you fight, it's how you fight. Hmm. And I, lo I love that phrase. I think that that's really important of um, the, the idea that like a good relationship is a relationship that never has hard conversations or never has conflict is a lie. Mm -hmm. the, the issue is how those, how those hard conversations happen. Do, are, they, are they happening with commitment? And, um, and yeah, that, that, that just, it feels really tied to that creating sacred spaces in our relationships, in our communities that hold together belonging feels really important. Yeah. Well, another one that we wanted to touch on is this idea that your belonging story doesn't have to fit into known narratives. Yes. Yes. So, um, the, the thing that I was thinking about as I read a lot of our discord comments was, um, I, I, I felt a tension. I felt a tension on one side of wanting to encourage many of us in our community away from imposter syndrome. Everybody familiar with the idea of imposter syndrome? That I could never fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And I've, I think that we often struggle with imposter syndrome when it comes to belonging. Like uh, somebody mentioned in the chat, a really, I really like the phrase hierarchical belonging. Mm -hmm. Like you kind of think like when you when you start to attach to a larger group of people, here's the here's the cool people. They're at the top of the hierarchy, but I'm just the lowly peon, and <laughs> I don't actually have connections yet. Um, and, uh, and so we, we fall into that imposter syndrome of like, oh no, I could never, or not me, or that's true for everybody else, but, but not me. So I, I th on one side, I want to encourage us away from that. But then on the other side, I felt like, you know, if, if you're feeling those things, if you're feeling like, I don't know, I, I don't feel connected here. I, I don't, I'm not sure I have the friendships. Um, and then somebody's constantly telling you, no, no, you do, you do, you do. That's kind of like gaslighting them and it's yeah. kind of bogus. <laughs> so like uh, there's this tension. Like I don't, I want to encourage us away from imposter syndrome, but also don't want us to be a community that like gaslights people and says like, no, your feelings aren't valid. Those aren't real. Um, we, we, want, we want to find some sort of middle ground there. And I don't necessarily know if there's a magic way to do that, but I just think that's a good thing that, that pins our hopes together as a community that's trying to facilitate belonging. Yeah, I think it can become really easy when you start to write this story about yourself and you collect all the evidence possible to fit into that narrative. And this outsider looking in, outsider trying to 
make their way into the in crowd is such a common one. Yes. Like I think of so many rom-coms and like coming of age <laughs> stories where like yes, the quirky right, outsider right. has some change in status and then they realize like, wow, this in they crowd go, go isn't as great. to this. Yeah. <laughs> it's always glasses. Um, but then they realize at the end of the story, like, oh, the quirky outsiders were actually the true source of belonging. Gosh darn it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I just think that story comes up so often, but it also comes up in the way that we talk about community and our experiences of belonging in ways like hearing someone else say, like, I found my people, mm. I found my home. Yeah. And we hold that as the standard, and that can be really difficult. And the issue isn't that someone else has experienced this like total sense of belonging somewhere. That's awesome. It's just if it That's starts great. to ooh, ooh, uh, uh, starts to tear up in me. Yes, yeah, yeah. and it's it's holding that level of connection as the standard because when you have comparison, it's a really slippery slope into invalidation. Um, it brings up for me this quote that I come back to all the time from Anne Lamott where she talks about um, don't compare your insides to everyone else's outsides. Yeah, it's classic. And so it's so easy to look at everyone else's curated presentations of belonging and like, wow, that person really has like true community. Mm-hmm. And here I am, like just an outsider with no one. I'm a loner, all these things. Um, that it's, you don't actually know what that person is wrestling with internally. Right, right. And I think there's so much more of a common trajectory of want always having space for what we're longing for in the sense of belonging. Like I, I don't think you're ever really settled into, I fully belong. Yes. Yeah. There's always some type of longing that you're moving toward. I mean, I think it goes back to your sacred space encouragement of, um, it is sacred spaces that will, um, that will create the, the type of environment with those, um, those wonderings or those questions or those mm-hmm. doubts uh, can surface in ways that are not like uh, manipulative, where it's yes. like, oh no, I have to, I have to match the vulnerability in the room. But I can actually, I can actually find myself organically coming to somebody else and saying, hey, blah 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 blah, you know, like opening up a little bit more vulnerably. Um, that it, it, it does feel like we need those, we need those commitments of sacred spaces. Um, and and just to reiterate, because I think it's such a, a good point, if we think that that will just happen because we automat- we call ourselves a safe space. That's falling into the control trap. That we, we can't actually promise that. that, yeah. that that's um, I'm afraid of. I, I'm I'm afraid that a lot of places in a in a. Uh, I, I mean, we'll 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 get to talking more about like cultural um, uh, ways that this plays in. But I'm thinking about. Uh, I learned once that a characteristic of white culture, so like my, my own, <laughs> um, is a need to um, like things to be to happen immediately, to mm-hmm. be like like immediate gratification. Like, I learned something. It needs to change in, in all ways about my life. And, and there can be this like, oh my gosh, I learned the importance of a safe space. And so I just like demand that my space is safe without realizing that that actually like cannot be just like deemed so from on high. It has to, it has to organically rise to, to be the space. And, uh, and so I, I go back to this idea of what we can promise. We cannot promise control, but what we can promise is that we're making commitments yes. to be a certain thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Why don't we shift actually to talking more about belonging wrapped up in culture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, as, I, as I'm getting, I'm, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on, um, on my own experience as a white middle-class guy in America and uh, belonging, what we want to uh, work this idea for a little bit. And another thing that was coming up in a lot of the conversations we had post our first week on belonging, belonging is always wrapped up in culture. So whether we're talking about white culture or we're talking about uh, a culture of uh, a minoritized individual, a culture of um, like a sub 
subculture within uh, that's something that you find connection in where you have like shared language and shared norms and shared understandings uh, and that could be something that has you know like has more to do with like uh, who like your identities your social location or it could be something that has nothing to do with that stuff could be like I have I have a subculture with all of the people who are tech nerds like I am and that's a culture belonging is always wrapped up in culture I, I remember um, a pastor friend of mine uh, told me an anecdote from his seminary days that I love. Uh, his, his instructor um, in, in seminary was a black pastor of a mostly black church here in Chicago. And he was sharing um, about how regularly this guy gets asked about mega popular church resources uh, coming out of places like, um, like Rick Warren's church in Orange County, uh, California. Anybody familiar with that? Um, this, the church is called Saddleback. And, uh, and so he, this pastor's talking about how he's like, have you, have you heard of Saddleback system? He always gets asked this. And his response is always, oh, yeah, Saddleback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've learned a lot from that. But actually, here we have Saddleback. <laughs> and uh, it's because he, he pastors an all-black church. And he recognizes, you know, belonging is always wrapped up in culture. You can't take... Uh, the, the systems that work for a mostly white suburban Southern California place and expect them to translate mm-hmm. perfectly to a mostly black community on Chicago's west side. Like, that's just crazy, right? It's always wrapped up in culture. And so we have to be aware of that tendency to, to do that, to kind of like say that, hey, like we can just apply this thing and it'll work perfectly over here when that's not always the case. Um, I think of... Um, We've talked about how a, a vision for us as we're thinking about belonging uh, and, and, and how, uh, how that's wrapped up in culture. We've talked about a Jesus-centered vision, mm-hmm. and we've used the, uh, the, the phrase uh, from the Bible, exalting the humble and humbling the exalted. And, and this idea that if we are Jesus-centered, then we are always trying to think about the cultures and the people groups that are exalted. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to think about making sure that we, our, our effort is toward humbling those exalted, and our effort is toward finding those that are already humbled and exalting those. And I feel like there, whenever we talk about these things, it's helpful to like, like do some definitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one thing is, is like uh, when we talk about uh, exalted uh, people in our culture, dominant culture, privileged cultures, um, we're talking about male-centered ways of being. We're talking about straight ways of being, like everything revolves around the construct of gender binaries and heterosexual relationships. Uh, we're talking about ableist ways of being, right? Like differently abled persons are, are usually not considered um, in, in more male dominant uh, or in more white dominant um, uh, conversations about belonging. White cultural ways of being. I mentioned before that a lot of these, um, for somebody like me who is a part of those dominant cultures, I'm, I'm usually not even aware of these things because it's part of the air that we breathe. And I was really helped by a list I learned from an anti-bias educator named Britt Hawthorne, who's mm-hmm. pretty popular on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and, and so some, some white ways of being. I wonder if these, uh, if, if, if these uh, connect for you. Uh, what she, uh, a couple of white ways of being. She says, urgency and being ruled by the clock. Okay, that's a white way of being. Um, worship of the written word, right? Oh man, if, if it's not written down, it's not important or it's not real. That's a, that's a white way of being. Uh, fear of open conflict, okay? A right to comfort. And then the one I mentioned earlier, desire for immediate results. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, every single one of those 
describe the culture I've inherited. Like those are so woven into me uh, very deeply and, uh, and, and because they feel natural, I think the idea is that it is easier for me to feel belonging in our society. It is harder for somebody else. On the other hand of privilege, we have non-dominant or marginalized ways of being, hum uh, people that are humbled in our social hierarchy. And the less you identify with those sorts of things, those ways of being, the less likely you are able to feel fully at home anywhere. Yeah. And closely related to that, the less you are able to experience the world on those terms. Like, it's not even just about, like, what you feel inside, but, like, what happens to you because of the way you look or because of the way you talk or because of the, the, uh, the how, you know, like, where you live or anything like that. There might be messages coming at you that say you're not welcome here. And, and so those are, it, it, it feels worth... Uh, it feels worth like stepping back and saying like, what are we talking about when we say exalt the humble and humble the exalted? And uh, so yeah, that, that, that's I think what we're thinking about when we're trying to create spaces for belonging. Uh, we have those power dynamics at play. Definitely. I think the more that you benefit from and just kind of fall in line with these dominant ways of belonging and being in community, the ways that feel really natural to you, it can be easy to either not see the other possibilities out there or just assume that everyone else is having the same yeah. experience of belonging. Yeah. I was reflecting with a friend recently about our um, youth group that we were a part of in high school and saying how we just assumed it was inclusive because we felt included. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how Your that experience must be everybody else's experience. Exactly. Yeah. So I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of assumption that comes into play too. Mm. I think that that's really important. The um, the one, uh, I, I, I spoke with a, a friend of mine who's, um, who's a black person that spends a lot of their time in predominantly white ministry settings, so churches or parachurch organizations or, or seminaries and things like that. And, uh, and what they told me is that um, when people, people who experience privilege want diversity and equity and inclusion, DEI is the buzzword in, in businesses, when, when people of privilege want that, they want it to keep a monkey off their back. Like, we, like oh my gosh, I don't want to appear racist. Um, but when, when, when the stakes are much higher for marginalized people, for people mm -hmm. who, who, are the, who are the subject of your DEI conversations, that's about their dignity. It's about their humanity. It's about their safety, their, their economic wellness, and, 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 and the, the experience when it, it, all of those conversations are happening on the terms of um, somebody like me who wants immediate results and wants to appear like a safe community. So we're going to control this so we can be a safe space. Mm -hmm. when, that's, when, when you are in that sort of space and you hear the sorts of messages of, hey, we are inclusive or we're trying to do these sorts of things, but what you experience is control, it's exhausting. That's what yeah. my friend told me. It's, it's just constant exhaustion. Yeah, it brings to mind for me, um, I was listening to a podcast a while back and Austin Channing Brown said something mm -hmm. along the lines of like, white people love lists. Especially, <laughs> I've even I've even shared like three lists already today. Yeah, but especially checklists, <laughs> yes, because yes. you can have on paper like, see, we checked off all the things, we're doing all the right things, Worship we're doing of the written word, what yeah. we're supposed to do. Um, but instead, I mean, that boils everything down into a program right, instead right. of a relationship. And I think that that's the really important thing here is relationally, how are people actually experiencing belonging yeah. versus what do things look like on paper and in a controlled sense. Yeah, yeah. So I, I asked my friend, um, like, what are, what are constructive ways of being for a community like ours that is predominantly white, but is, it is aspiring to facilitate belonging for marginalized individuals, doesn't want to just, like, 
like tell uh, people who are not part of the, you know, the worship of the written word culture and the immediate results culture and, you know, all of those things. Don't, don't want to just say to those people, assimilate or you can't belong. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are some constructive things we can do? And I, I took away two things, again, a list from me. Uh, how, <laughs> how perfect is that? I, irony at its best. Um, uh, one was to, to keep front and center this idea of Jesus exalting the humble and humbling the exalted. Um, if we can keep that, like, Jesus is... Jesus exalts the poor woman who, uh, as the one who gave the most because she gave out of her poverty rather than the rich who gave out of their wealth. And Jesus teaches that, you know, as we sang today, that in God's kingdom, the first are last and the last are first. And the pinnacle of Jesus' story is self-sacrificial love, willingly becoming a scapegoat in his society to show God's solidarity with all scapegoats. Like this, These are the things that we need to keep front and center. And if we can do that, if we can, especially those of us who are more exalted culturally, like me, can 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 regularly remind ourselves that then what we will be what we will be tasked with as a part of facilitating belonging for other people who are not uh, who are who are uh, minoritized. What we'll be able to say is like, am I willing to sacrifice some of my urgency and being ruled by the clock? Am I willing to sacrifice some of my worship of lists and the written word? Am I willing to sacrifice my right to comfort? And I think the answer can be yes, if I'm keeping in front of me. Jesus exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. That, that was one takeaway that I had. And then the other was encouraging this idea of patchwork that we've been working mm -hmm. already, is belonging is a patchwork that we, uh, you mentioned before of like phrases that often get tossed around when we talk about belonging or like feeling, oh, I, I felt at home or um, I fully belong here. And what my friend said is that for a marginalized individual, they can't always show up at their full selves. So like a full, like projecting onto uh, onto a minoritized person, the the goal of full belonging might be uh, like missing the point for them because it kind of assumes that like, oh yeah, and you you can fully belong here. Don't worry, it's easy, and that's not fair, and that's not seeing the whole story and being able to recognize that like the goals are going to be different uh, for a di we have we have to we have to actually be curious and ask questions and not just project onto other people what works for us and that and that gets us back board back toward the patchwork of this is, this is truly a different project for each of us, even as we are trying to join ourselves together in larger than us things. Yeah, it's a, it's a right-sized promise for what is actually going to be the reality. It's not some type of bait and switch of, yeah. look at all these things that we're promising about what you'll experience when you're here. And it also recognizes, in both these points, recognize the cost of being in community and the cost of belonging and how those costs are going to be different mm -hmm. depending on each of our unique experiences and stories and backgrounds. Um, and I think that it's, it's just healthy to acknowledge that instead of pretending like everyone has the same access to yeah. belonging in a yes. certain setting. Yeah, that's and, and, and maybe that, again, can come back to, uh, I, I think that the most important thing that, that we've said here is this, what we're trying to do here is make commitments to sacred space and not make promises of controlling a safe space. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, that is, sets us up best to provide belonging for others. That's really good. Well, um, to, to close just with a, um, uh, something just more like call to action E, as we have been mentioning, um, we're trying to, over the course of this series of talking about belonging, 
Um, uh, peel back the curtain a little bit about conversations that have been being had in our church, whether it's between Haley and me or us and different people in, in the community of like, what, what does it look like for us to facilitate community for people? Um, what does it look like? Oftentimes people will connect with our church and say like, hey, can I connect to a small group? Because that's a, that, that's a, that's a picture in a lot of people's minds for how to connect with the church. And we certainly have that. But we're trying to think more broadly and diversely when it comes to facilitating belonging and community. So we'll, I'll put up on the screen here for us. Uh, this is the, 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 the page that you get to when you go to our website and click on the, the link that says community or small groups. We are trying to think of facilitating belonging here in terms of three different things. And uh, if you've, if you've uh, been with us for a little while, you'll have heard about our communal matches, which is just once a month you, or, or once every two months or something like that, you get connected, you get matched with somebody else in our church. And so if you sign up for this, it's a new match every now and then. It's random, so it's, you know, it's, it's sometimes you'll meet somebody who's maybe in a similar stage of life from you. Sometimes you'll meet somebody who's in a totally different stage of life from you, and that's cool. We're trying to like mix it up and increase the ties in our community. And so if that's something that you want to participate in, you can. You can totally do that. You can go and sign up on our website. If you don't want to participate in that, totally cool. This is, mo this is for people, especially this is important for people who are looking for more friendships. They're like, I... Uh, in, in the Lego block of my life, there's a lot of empty holes. I need, some, I need some attachments. And so if you're looking for more friendships, the communal matches is like one of the best things to do because you'll meet a bunch of people over the course of like half a year. And then uh, what we also have, last week I, I cast a vision for mentoring in our community, connecting people of different generations. And especially when we think about young people, when we think about kids, when we think about teenagers, we think about college students and young adults, what does it mean to connect those people with older folks in our community, people who are in the next stage of life? And because those are the ways you learn to truly be human. We talked about last week how in our world, education, it prepares you to be a a contributor to the economy. Great, but how do you do relationships? How do you like budget your life so you're not exhausted and burnt out all the time? The way you learn those things, the way you learn how to truly be human in our society is with mentors, with people who've done it before and can pass on their wisdom and can, you know, sit with you and, and talk about things and, and maybe even just like, I don't know, have a meal together or cook together. That's what we're looking for in those situations is mentoring relationships. And then finally, we have small groups, which is the last piece. And Haley's going to pick this up next week, so we won't yep. say too much about it today. But these are the different ways we're imagining what it looks like to facilitate community and belonging. And we want we want everybody to be aware that there are a diverse set of options. It's not one size fits all. It is this patchwork, and uh, and and, and we, you can attach yourselves to the the avenues that feel most helpful to you right now, and that will change, and then you can change it up again. Um, I am looking forward to next week because you are going to cast a vision for small groups as we look ahead uh, to the the winter and spring here. Um, but yeah, we'll, I think we'll leave that for next week. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Cool. All right. Well. Uh, we encourage you, uh, use Brownline Church as you see uh, helpful right now. We encourage you to be a part of making this a place that facilitates belonging for others. And, uh, and as, we, as we're marinating on that this week, uh, let me pray for us. <clears throat> as I pray, you can close your eyes or you can leave your eyes open, whatever helps you to feel settled and comfortable in this space. God, what is, um, what is, what's going on in each, of our, in each of our minds here? 
I believe that you're present to all of us in this moment, and each of us may have different, different furniture in our minds that's, uh, that's being moved around because you're trying to draw our attention somewhere, God. And so we just pay attention to that right now. What, what are you moving around in our minds? What are you shining a flashlight on? What are you, what are you suggesting to each of us? when it comes to facilitating belonging, being a part of a community that helps people like, feel like, hey, this is a sacred space. Is there anything that we can do? Is there any way we can contribute to that? I ask that you'd speak to each of us in our own ways right now. It's not gonna be the same for each of us. Maybe the message to us as we're quieting ourselves and trying to listen, maybe the message to us is, no, you should wait back and sit. You should let yourself be served by the other people who I am calling to action right now. Perhaps that's it. And we pray for any of us who are longing for more friendships, more experience of uh, community or belonging in our lives. We don't have, uh, we're not at baseline. We don't have what we want to have. God, you are the one who is alongside us. You have felt on the outs before. You have felt betrayed before. You show us this in Jesus, that you are the God that is not distant and far and removed and never knows what that's like because you're God and everybody loves you. You are the God that knows what it is like to be on the outside. And so you are with us in those feelings. You are gently encouraging us and you are working on our behalf in these other places, in these other people, to bring about what it is we're longing for. I pray especially right now, as we're quiet, for those who have been hurt in community before and cannot help but feel triggered as we talk about these sorts of things. We pray for an experience of your spirit, God, that brings healing, that can take those triggered feelings and release the pressure on them, that they hurt less. I pray for an experience of your spirit, even right now, for those of us who have been hurt, that when we remember those experiences, that they would hurt less because of this moment that we have spent letting you heal us. We pray that you would continue to turn our, uh, our attention toward sacred spaces and what we can do, the commitments we can make to make that so here in Brownline Church. In Jesus' name. Amen.